Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. It's podcasting day, which is slightly better than laundry day and bathing day, maybe. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my home office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, hey, if you're traveling through the Charlotte area, once we all get traveling again, uh, reach out to me. Uh, We can meet at McCraney's and sit and have a pipe or two. Uh, Anyway, on this week's show, we have an Ask the Pipe Maker Uh, with Jeff Grasick, and we continue the Ask the Experts with the third installment, and that's going to be with the one and only pipe stud Steve Fallon, and then uh, music, a big mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, Remember, we are still uh, looking for uh, donations for the JDRF auctions, and as soon as... uh, as soon as Steve gets his uh, gets himself back together again, well, we'll get those going. So, email me Brian B R I A N at pipesmagazine.com if you have anything. Uh, also, a little quick update on uh, pipe shows. Uh, the first one that was still on the schedule is the NASPC Columbus, Ohio pipe show. Go to naspc.org to find out more that's still planned, and I'm looking forward to it and uh, really hoping to get out there. Uh, Also got an email from the NASPC saying that uh, some of the newsletters have been, uh, they've been having issues with the U.S. mail. Uh, So if you're a member, you can email them, uh, president at naspc.org, and get the electronic version if you haven't gotten your mail, your one in the mail. If you're not a member, I don't know why you aren't. You really should be. NASPC.org, uh, six uh, six issues of the Pipe Collector. So for twenty bucks or ten bucks electronically, you get yeah about uh, uh, three hundred and fifty pages of reading a year. Just great stuff. Anyway, um, also the core, the uh, Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers Sutliff show is still planned for the first week of October, and I will be there. So keep those on your mind as we uh, head into, uh, as we go through the summer, keep planning for those in into the fall. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. back on the pipes magazine radio show for another edition of ask the pipe maker with uh jeff grasick the pipe maker of j allen pipes uh 
Jeff, what do you call your uh, your drill bits and uh, and all your other doodads that you make? Is that the uh, the, the J. Allen swag? J. Allen design. Ooh, I know. Sounds fancy, right? Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, this one, this question for you comes from Nelson, and Nelson. Hi, Nelson. Nelson says uh, this should be a pretty quick one, I suspect, but <laughs> we all know how that works we'll see out. About that. Yeah. Uh, he says, I've heard from another pipe maker that all pipe makers only use leather dye on their pipes. I asked him why, and he didn't have an answer. I'd like to know if this is true and why. If it is true, why don't pipe makers use wood stain, even the water-based types, on their pipes? So there you go. Well, that's a great question. I hesitate in most cases from <laughs> using the word all none of us does everything the same as every other person in the pipe world that is for sure a lot of us use the leather dyes that's true and the reason is that they work well and they are easily available and that's about the end of the answer to that now i in terms of like what what do we use or why do we use it a lot of wood dyes and a lot of leather dyes are similar typically they are aniline dyes that are in an alcohol solvent or a, an oil solvent or sometimes water so the same is true for for wood uh, it's the same is true for wood dyes as it is for leather dyes I use dyes from my woodworking store and also leather dyes. It just depends on the color that I'm looking for. If it's a color that I've been using for years and years and years and it's in a leather dye, well, I can't get that at my woodworking store. It would change the color. And I will just keep going back to the source that has worked for me for years. Now, there are some other dyes that are used I have worked with a pipe maker who uses herbs, uh, <laughs> food, food based dyes that he kind of makes on his own. And I think that's a pretty cool solution. I know of another pipe maker who, in fact, I think it was the Gigers in Sweden. They, I believe, were experimenting with, and I don't know if they use it anymore, they were exper experimenting with a tobacco-based dye. So they used the coloring that naturally occurs in tobacco leaves to dye the pipes. I think that's just a cool solution, and it makes the, the pipe a very whole experience from start to finish. So there's nothing specific about a leather dye that works better on briar than a wood dye. Do you have to handle them slightly differently if you're? No, I, you know, I, I, I'm no expert on the subject, but as I understand it, a dye is a dye. Okay. So if it's an aniline dye that is that is in solution with alcohol, if I get it made for leather and get it made for wood, it's going to be more or less the same if it has the same solvent. Got it. There could be some other additives perhaps that make it soak in better or worse or whatever. So here in California, and this is you know the, the point in the show when everybody 
rolls their eyes and says, oh, California. Uh Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. So we can't get the alcohol-based dyes here that I have used for years and years and years. They are simply not available anymore. And the reason (laughs) is VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Is that what it is? Is that do they cause cancer I, like the Christmas lights that I get every year? Can, uh, you know, Brian, they contribute to smog. Aha! Uh-huh. Wow. And but only, as only we both in the know, state every of, time. Pardon? They only do that in the state of California. They don't do it in other Absolutely. states. Absolutely, it's yeah. known in the state of California that this will contribute to smog. So every time I open my two ounce container of alcohol-based dye, some of that alcohol is evaporating and contributing to smog. Which is objectively true, although (laughs) I think if that were a concern, they perhaps ought to be shutting down every bar in the state as well. Well, you also can't. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) Well, you also can't get grain alcohol there either, can you? The hundred and oh, oh, we can get grain alcohol. Okay, good. All right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) don't look in Jeff's backyard. There's a still back there. Right. Let, let's just say for, for my pipes, I when I found out that this law was passing, I, I bought a significant I, I, I bought enough of the dyes that I've been using for a long time to last me a little while. <laughs> so you're now, sto- you're stocked up on little jars of uh, little jars of smog, but in, in right. the little two ounce jar, is that gonna handle a whole bunch of traditional billiards or you know standard? It will. I, and I, I bought a much larger uh, much larger containers than than two ounces. but <laughs> the so there's been a solution that has been developed by one of the dye companies, or I think by a lot of the dye companies that it's a different solvent that doesn't have the same effects or at least it's compatible with with California laws. And that actually works a lot better than alcohol. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. For all of us who are rolling our eyes going, oh, my God, why are they doing this? It's ruining. Uh, it, it, this is silly. And then then I tried the dyes and I went, oh, oh this is this is better. So sometimes uh, silly laws, at least laws that seem silly to me, lead to some innovation that's uh, uh, for my benefit. When you're when you're testing something like that, when you're getting a new product, do you just take like a little chunk of briar that you cut off of a off, off of a block and stain it and see how it does? Uh, usually, what I'll do is, I mean, first there's the smell test. You open it up and like, is this smell like I'm gonna die if it touches me? <laughs> then there is the uh, I'll, I'll I'll make a pipe for myself. And we'll use the dye on the on a pipe for myself. And it what I'm looking for is how does it apply? How like how deeply does it soak in? Is are there issues like how long does it take to dry? Is one thing. I have some dyes that take two or three days to dry unless heat is applied, and even with heat, they still take a long time uh, because of the type of solvent that it is. And does it? Because you don't want any of this dye to be bubbling out after you have finished the pipe. That you know, if it can <laughs> yeah. bubble out, it can also bubble through the briar into the bowl and you know lead to pretty bad tasting experiences. So I try to avoid those for my customer and for myself. I've only had that happen to me once, but uh, mm-hmm. um, I I just find it uh, 
I find it ironic in the pipe world that we use leather dyes on wood and then the pipes are made on the wooden pipes are made on metal lathes. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's almost <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever used a wooden lathe. They're, they're pretty rickety. No, I'm, I'm listen, I am very good with just like a hand drill and, <laughs> and that's the most dangerous tool you want me touching. Right. <laughs> so, right. So there you go. There's all, all about the, uh, all about dyes for you. So Jeff, thank you very much. My pleasure. We'll be back in just a minute. This is internet radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the seller series to the small batch project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND. As a crew of folks who just love tobacco, it's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for an Ask the Experts is uh, Steve Fallon, the pipe stud himself, the one and only, and... Uh, you know, Steve, this is kind of like my, uh, my, well, you being from Texas, you'd understand this is like my Magnificent Seven or the, or the Seven Samurai, you, uh, you seven experts. So are you, uh, are you ready for your questions? Well, I'm ready for my questions, but, you know, I know you've got a lot of people listening, so let me just say howdy, y'all. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> He's speaking Texas to you. Um, all right, first question is for you. Uh, can you detect if a pipe has been oil cured or not and do you have a preference well you know some pipes you can tell there's a little difference uh, you know since i don't gravitate toward oil cured pipes exclusively uh, and have sm smoked just a few of them over the years i really don't have a good sense of being able to tell i do know that like i had a, have an old nelly pipe that was oil cured that i could i could definitely tell smoke differently uh, there was also uh, a pipe that I absolutely loved. Long story about why I don't have it anymore, but it was uh, an Ashton Canadian uh, bought back in 1999, unsmoked, uh, Ashton, uh, Ashton Sovereign, I think is how he pronounced it. And it was uh, just a terrific smoker and had a really nutty kind of a nutty kind of a taste for a while and then that kind of went away after that but it stayed a great smoker but but yeah i can i can kind of tell uh, on some pipes others i've had i couldn't tell at all do you think the oil curing only helps at the beginning of the pipe's life well brian i've heard that from others who smoke oil cured pipes a lot uh but again i, I don't know i i know that uh, the the ashton uh, definitely changed over time that I had, and the the old Nelly has also done the same thing. It's yeah. uh, it, it's just changed a little bit. It's it's um, I, I don't get that extra whatever that I used to. So you wore off the oil. Yes, sir. I think that's <laughs> what it did. 
Now, with you being in Texas, can't you just go out to your backyard do an oil rig and, and oil it again? <laughs> well, you know, I've thought about that, but I can't find a pipe, pipe big enough to take all the oil. Oh, okay. I need to talk to Rich Esselman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here's the next question. Uh, what makes a pipe more of a flake tobacco pipe for you? Well, you know, I've heard so many stories from different people about what they like regarding a flake tobacco pipe. Uh, the majority of them say a real thick bowl with, uh, you know, small tobacco chamber. And I agree with the part uh, about the tobacco chamber being smaller, but I don't really care whether it's a thicker bowl pipe or one that, uh, you know, has your, uh, you know, normal size to it. it. It seems to be, for me anyway, a case of just making sure that the bowl is not too too uh, large whereas the tobacco can start to overwhelm you now do you think it would do you think the size of the bowl would differ based off of the uh, based off of the blend the flake is made of yes i do i i uh, specifically remember uh, one time taking out some uh, really old full virginia flake okay, with, and uh, I, I made the mistake of putting it into a large bowl pipe it was in the evening, and I was uh, going to sit out back and uh, with my wife and a couple of friends for a while, so I thought it'd last a while. Boy, did it ever. I mean, I, <laughs> I was smoking that big flake pipe for a long time, uh, but uh, it just didn't have the same flavor. It wasn't as full as it is when you use a smaller bolt pipe, so I've, I've gone back to that. Did you kind of get bored with the, with the tobacco uh, uh, after so long? Well, I, I, I must have because I, I put the pipe down, didn't even get halfway down the bowl. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that does believe in delayed gratification technique, but uh, I'd left the pipe out overnight and it rained. And uh, that's not a good combination. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so the So the pipe was a little wet in the morning, huh? Yes, sir. It was a little bit. It was a little bit damp. It was a wet smoker for a while, but uh, it finally dried back out. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of wet smokers, uh, what is your preferred method of flame? Well, I, I always use a lighter, and the reason for that is I, I don't care what they say about these uh, matches with a uh, little sulfur content, or you can't taste it. I can taste it. And it sticks for some reason for a while. And I don't know why that is. I just know it is. Uh, so I always use a butane lighter. Do you, uh, if you use the matches, do you light it, let it burn for, you know, two or three seconds to burn off the sulfur and then try it? Ron, I've tried burning those, those matches down to where it was actually flaming my fingers before I'd stick it down in the bowl to light it. I still taste sulfur or wood or something. Uh, I just uh, am not at all a believer uh, in, in matches. I just, uh, plus when you're outside, it's tough to keep those suckers going. Uh, and if you have a good, uh, uh, a good lighter that uh, spews forth butane and uh, covers itself pretty well, or you cover it with your hand, it'll stay, it'll stay lit whereas a match goes out. So I, I just don't, I just don't mess with matches. Yeah, so you're you're just kind of, uh, I guess we might call you sulfur sensitive. <laughs> I think so, and, and also the wood. Don't forget, I can taste that wood uh, from the matches. I sure can. 
Wow, you're—I mean, you're—you're you're special, but uh, but you all—you also <laughs> smoke pretty much the same tobacco all the time, right? Yes, I know pretty much what that tobacco is going to taste like. Uh, I get adventurous in the evenings when I'm uh, in the house sitting in front of a television, but uh, I, I don't get adventurous with matches. I just uh, get adventurous with different tobacco blends. But uh, for the most part, I. I know what I like. It's uh, you know the the old Royal Yacht uh, and Burley combination, and sometimes that'll vary a little bit. But uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Burley, so smoke a lot of that. And um, you know Burley, as you know, uh, does not really add a lot of its own flavor, just the strength. So that may be why it absorbs the flavor of the matches. That you know that's that is kind of interesting because Burley you know Burley doesn't have a real flavor to it. Uh, per se, it's got a little nuttiness that some people will find, but it doesn't, you know, compared to, <laughs> I hate to pick on Royal Yacht, but I'm going to anyway, um, compared <laughs> to all the nastiness of Royal Yacht, um, as some people call it, you know, the Burley really is just kind of ice in the drink for you. Yeah, it's got, uh, in, in my situation, whereas I love, the flavoring that Royal Yacht presents, uh, that little added flavoring that comes up through the Burley, and I can taste the Royal Yacht flavoring as as well as the uh, the strength and whatever it is the the Burley adds to the to the smoke. Uh, and then, of course, when I get down, I've, uh, everybody thinks I'm terrible for this, but I don't smoke my bowls all the way to the bottom because the bottom third is Royal Yacht, and I can't stand the taste of burning Royal Yacht. Uh, <laughs> I, I just love the taste of it uh, when the heat from the Burley uh, releases the essence that that wonderful Royal Yacht tobacco has. So you, so you smoke Burley, and you get the aromatherapy of Royal Yacht. That's exactly right, and uh, that's probably why I'm, uh, you know, one of those kind of guys that when you look at you say, man, that guy looks, he looks a lot older than he is. But that's <laughs> just the way it is. You are, that is definitely special. Um, the other thing that kind of interested me was you, you said during the day you smoke your usual blend and at night you get adventurous. So when it's time to, when, when you are, t when it's time for you to sit down and relax, that's when you're more willing to deviate from your, from your usual yeah, the reason for that really is because I have a, an opportunity to, uh, you know, I'm smoking slower. I don't have anything else going on. Uh, you know, I'm not packing. I'm not shipping. I'm not listing pipes. I'm not writing out sales statements. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. I'm just sitting there. And it gives me a chance to really concentrate and focus on what I'm smoking. Uh, in that way, I can tell whether I like something or I don't. Uh, back, in the, uh, back in the days when I was just trying anything and everything I could find. Uh, I always found that if I was sitting in front of the TV, I could appreciate the tobacco much more or sitting on the back patio, uh, just enjoying a smoke. Uh, than I could during the day when I was working or had to go out and try to catch a smoke real quick before getting back in that kind of a thing. So I've always been one who, uh, likes in the evenings to, to sit and try different stuff. Well, that does that does make sense because when we go on a when when we're in the car going on a trip or something, I I pack my pipes with my old reliable and I know exactly how it's going to smoke and I don't have to really pay attention to it and I can focus on driving and and enjoying my pipe and when I'm trying something that's slightly different, you know, I got to pay attention to what I'm doing with it and you know try not to <laughs> try not to burn myself or try you know, <laughs> try not to screw it up too much. 
yeah, trying not to burn yourself is pretty, uh, you know, that's important. But the, uh, uh, but you're exactly right, Brian, because uh, if, if me anyway, if I'm sitting there trying out a new blend, I want to see what the new blend is all about. And yeah. it's hard to do that when you light it and two or three minutes later you put it down and for the next 15 minutes you're doing something. Then you come sit down again, get in front of the computer, light it again. And while you're focusing on what's on the computer, uh, you're smoking, you know, this new blend. And then when it's over, you go, you know, I really don't know what I just smoked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more Ask the Expert questions with Steve the Pipe Stud Fallon. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And Steve, I feel like I ought to have one of those big, you know, announcer echo things with Steve, the pipe stud, 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 <laughs> Fallon, Fallon, Fallon. Um, anyway, your next question. Are you ready? Well, you, well first, I'm, I'm still sitting here looking around. You said asking the expert. I'm looking around here. There's nobody else in here but me, so... Uh, you're just stuck with me. Rest of the show. You know, maybe I misspoke. Maybe it just says "ask the experienced people." <laughs> yeah, I'm experienced, all right. Yeah, yeah, experienced in leaving your pipes out overnight and getting them rained on. Um, that happened only once or twice. Okay, well, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, do you notice a cooler smoke with a pipe with a longer shank, like a Canadian or something like that? absolutely not uh, I don't think an extra inch or two inches is going to cool the smoke uh, that's to me that's nuts uh, you know you're sucking in uh, your tobacco smoke at about a thousand miles an hour and I don't think an extra inch or two is going to change uh, the coolness of the smoke it'll be perceptible to anybody do you notice the longer the the longer wood portions of pipes may smoke a little cooler? Nope. What, uh, what? All I notice is that when I use a long stemmed pipe, sometimes I have to go back to one of those church or the pipe cleaners to get it all cleaned out when it's time to do that. Uh, but I've smoked long stem, short stem, medium stem, uh, long wood, long uh, plastic, vulcanite, whatever. Uh, and I've never noticed any any change uh, in the uh, temperature of the of the smoke as it enters my mouth. Does bamboo help? I don't know if it would help or not. I I really don't smoke bamboo uh, stem pipes. Uh, Kate, I've got a couple, and, and I'll you know smoke them on occasion. But I really don't. I don't have one that I smoke regularly, so I couldn't answer that question. I don't know if bamboo is magical and absorbs heat. Uh, but uh, I do know that uh, the the pipes, uh, whether it be the the well cured wood or a wonderfully made stem, an extra inch or two is not, in my opinion, going to cool the smoke to a point where uh, the smoker can detect the difference in the heat. 
So you're you're pretty much uh, pack learn how to pack the tobacco and learn how to smoke it right, and it'll smoke as cool in whatever size, shape, angle, or or you know whatever pipe you happen to pull out. Yeah, I just, it, all of that. It's uh, you know it's how you pack the pipe. It's the blend you're smoking. It's your smoking cadence. Uh, all of that depends on on uh, how much heat you're going to get, uh, and and the pipe. In my opinion, again, the length of the uh, of the pipe, uh, stem, shank, whatever, has nothing to do with it. All right, on to the next question. Uh, when smoking the same tobacco, why do you think some pipes smoke wetter than other pipes? Well, you know, I've uh, at my own pipe club, we've had going for about 20 years now. I've noticed, uh, you know, we'll all smoke uh, the same blend when we have uh, nights where we pull out uh, certain two or three tobaccos that everybody's going to sample and that sort of thing. And you get uh, you get some people who are constantly having to use a pipe cleaner to absorb the moisture, and you have others who, uh, you know, who, who don't even use a pipe cleaner. Uh, they just smoke the whole bowl, and they're just fine. So. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, it's uh, each each person salivates differently. Uh, you know, some somebody may uh, have a lot of slobber. Uh, somebody else uh, may have dry mouth. I don't know, but uh, I, I do think it's partly the the smoker and also the shape of the pipe. You know, a bent pipe will always uh, tend to gather a little more moisture uh, coming from the smoker, uh, or when the uh, uh, the moisture is produced by the, the tobacco and the smoke uh, rather than going evenly and straight. It may fall back down toward the bottom of the bowl and uh, coagulate and cause a little bubbling action. Yay, uh, bubbling. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's what I'm that's that's what I'm guessing. And of course, you can smoke some tobacco uh, that just is uh, it's so wet you wonder how it got lit. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I pretty much tend to smoke a tobacco that uh, is is almost to the point of being too dry. It's just perfect for me at that point. Uh, I, I do not smoke tobacco that has a lot of moisture in it. Does it have to do? Do you think some with the with also with the internal engineering of the pipe? Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, you, you get somebody who knows what they're doing when they make a pipe uh, or a really uh, well-made machine-made pipe. Uh, it, it'll help a lot, you know. When you have restricted air flows, uh, not as much space, you're you're obviously going to have uh, uh, less room for that moisture to disperse. So, uh, I think they'll they'll smoke a little bit uh, hotter, and they'll also uh, bubble up on you a little bit uh, if you're not careful. So it is a it. So in your in your in your world, it's kind of a combination of things, and you just got to keep poking around until you find the right combination for you. Yeah, I remember Brian Way many, many moons ago. Uh, I had uh, purchased some tobacco uh, from a little place called the Pipe Pub in Austin, Texas. And uh, the tobacco was, I mean, you could, if you put the tobacco in your hand and then squeezed, uh, you'd have drops coming out. <laughs> it was moist. But I wasn't smart enough back then to figure it all out. All I knew was, Stuff smelled great, tasted terrible, and burned hotter than hell. So <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and all my pipes were sopping wet in the bottom of the bowl, uh, and so yeah, I, I kind of learned the hard way. Of course, a lot of people do. You know, I had my first couple of weeks I was a pipe smoker. I kept my tongue in a sling. 
it was, uh, you know, uh, kind of a learn-as-you-go experience because I didn't have anybody back then. There wasn't the Internet. Uh, didn't have a bunch of pipe-smoking buddies or a pipe, uh, you know, a pipe tobacco group of any kind, certainly not the ones we have nowadays all over the place on Zoom and Facebook, et cetera, and so on with this social distancing thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I just had to learn the hard way. I'd read about it. and uh, You know, I, I think it was the – I think it was out of – one of the I won race catalogs. I can't remember for sure, but uh, somewhere uh, I, I read where you you need to make sure your tobacco is is not real wet, and that made a big difference uh, when I learned how to dry the tobacco before I smoked it. Uh, we used to joke around that after the if there was a nuclear holocaust, all that would be around is cockroaches, Twinkies, and Sutliff's Multidolce. <laughs> Uh, I hope Sutliff's not listening. But it's a good-tasting tobacco once you dried it down. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, on to the next one. What is a specific aspect or dimension or two that a pipe must have in order for you to purchase it? Brian, it's uh, whenever I see a pipe that I like, uh, I always want to see the dimension of the tobacco chamber itself. Not so much the depth. Uh, I like U-bowls for sure over the V-shapes. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, uh, I, if I can get my thumb down into the bowl, if it just barely fits down in the bowl, that's usually too big. I like it to where I can't get my thumb down into the bowl. Uh, so, you know, 0.75 is probably the max. Uh, I just don't like uh, pipes with large tobacco chambers. And you like the more U'd or V'd shape because of your aromatherapy royal yacht at the bottom. <laughs> yes, and the, the U-shaped pipes uh, don't get, um, in my opinion, uh, whatever you're smoking, it doesn't matter. Uh, the, the, the strength and the, uh, that taste you get when tobacco starts to mix with ash and uh, all of the other uh, excrements from the tobacco... <laughs> Uh, it, it, it doesn't have that nastier taste as you go down to the bottom of the bowl uh, that a V-shaped bowl will. Do you have a real problem if the bowl's got a, uh, if the if the tobacco chamber's got a real flat bottom to it? Well, you know, if I know what you're talking about, and I, I think that depends on the drilling of the pipe. You know, if, it's, uh, if, if uh, the air hole enters right at the bottom of a bowl, uh, and you're using a really flat bottom bowl. I can see where you can suck up moisture and tobacco shards and all kinds of gooey stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a, a valid point. But I like it. I like a little bit of little bit of curvature. Yeah. Uh, are there any other uh, any other dimensions or things that are just a you know just a deal breaker for you when looking at a pipe? Well, I'm not real particular. Uh, when it comes to the length of the pipe, as long as it's not too long uh, or too short, uh, and, and the bowls can vary in all kinds of sizes. I do like I do like pipes with thicker bowls. Uh, but the one thing that kind of bugs me is if the stem is real wide. Uh, it just is uncomfortable to me. So if I see, if I look at a stem, I can just, of course, after smoking as many years as I have, I can pretty much look at that stem uh, and if uh, the width of the stem uh, at the at the lip area 
uh, button area is is wide. I, I just uh, I won't go after it. And that and that's just on comfort inside the mouth, right? Right, comfort. Yep, yep. And and, and you know, and I, and I got to remember, yeah, you're so experienced. You started smoking a pipe when Doctor Grabo was still pre med. So, <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you something. I I did. I admit I smoked at Doctor Grabo early on. Yeah. Uh, heck, you could get them for four dollars at Walmart uh, or Walgreens or wherever it was. Wall something. And uh, I I, uh, I could tell immediately when I smoked a Dr. Graybo, and I only smoked one, that uh, it was really the last one I wanted to smoke. And I've not <laughs> smoked one since. <laughs> and now all those Dr. Graybo fans have just hung up on you. Uh, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with Dr. Graybo if you like them. Uh, but but the fact that someone else, I buy a brand new pipe, I want it to be brand new. And these Dr. Gravos, somebody smoked them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that darn machine that pre-smokes their pipes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. what's been in that machine's mouth. <laughs> well, a bunch of Dr. Gravos. Um, <laughs> next question. Do you prefer your pipes to be bowl-coated or not? Is it a deal-breaker? Well, you know, Brian, the... Um, there's there's something about uh, filling up for the first time a brand new pipe that has no bowl coating at all that's fun uh, but then again there are pipe makers who make wonderful uh, neutral bowl coatings uh, that I think do aid in the break-in process uh, and so I, I really don't mind one way or the other uh, now if it's if it's a pipe that's a factory pipe that's inexpensive and they've got some kind of bowl coating in there that's, uh, you know, thick or whatever uh, and has a taste to it immediately, you can tell, uh, then no, I'm all against that. But I really don't think a bowl coating is a deal breaker for me. I, I like smoking the, uh, the uncoated bowls, but I also uh, appreciate a, a, a coated bowl that, um, you know, the pipe maker took a lot of time and effort to perfect that doesn't uh, exhibit any kind of taste and helps uh, helps the ash adhere to the pipe quicker. Does the pipe stud treat a virgin bowl a little more a little uh, softer, a little more gentler than a uh, than a coated bowl? No, sir. Uh, what I do, Brian, is uh, I simply uh, get the pipe. I don't wet the pipe. Uh, I don't say a prayer over it. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just fill it up the way I would a, a 10-year-old pipe that's been smoked every day, fill her to the brim, and start smoking. You don't go out back and, tech, and dip it in some of that Texas tea? <laughs> no, I just drink the Texas tea while I'm smoking the pipe. Mm. And, then, uh, and then finally, and this might be, you know, this is obviously going to be the toughest one for you. Um, is there one pipe that you owned and got rid of that you wished you could get back or a pipe you saw for sale that you regret not buying or one of each or both? Well, that's a great question. And I'm sure there are a lot of uh, long time pipe smokers more so probably than the newer ones, but, uh, there, there are regrets, uh, in, and I certainly have mine and still remember it. Well, in fact, it's the same, uh, Ashton Canadian that we were talking about earlier, the Sovereign, uh, beautiful pipe, beautifully made, smoked well. Uh, like I said, I bought it back in 1999, uh, and in 
in 2005 or six. I don't remember which year, but at the Kansas City Pipe Show, I had that pipe on the table. I'd smoked it, uh, and somebody picked it up, and I was I was selling selling some pipes, and uh, I know I, I remember buying that pipe back in 1999 for like 175 or 180 dollars. That's what they went for back then. And uh, the guy picked it up and looked at it. I said, I'm sorry, that one's not for sale. That's my own pipe. I just had finished smoking it a little bit ago and hadn't put it up yet. And he kept looking at it, and he said, how much do you want for this pipe? And I said, well, you know, it's not for sale, so uh, don't want anything for it. But it is a nice pipe, isn't it? And he says, I'll give you $400 for it. Oh, God. <laughs> and I said, are you serious? You'll give me $400 for this pipe? He said, this is a beautiful pipe. I'll give you 400 I said, well... He said 425. I said, okay, 425. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> and so I took the money and I wished I hadn't have done that. Did it still uh, have your dottle left in it? <clears throat> Did it what? Did it still have your dottle left in it from the bowl? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Brian, it must not have because the guy didn't try to give it back. <laughs> uh, is there a pipe that you saw for sale one time that you regret not buying? Uh, not just one. Yeah. Well, how about <laughs> uh, probably, one of your favorites? <laughs> yeah, probably a dozen. There was a, uh, there was a beautiful Brad Pullman Canadian that Brad had on his table, uh, at the Las Vegas pipe show a few years ago. Uh, it was uh, sandblasted and, and the, the entire, it was a Canadian and the entire bottom of the, the bowl as well as the shank was smooth. And then everything else was sandblasted. And I kept coming back to that pipe. Of course, the price on it was was uh, high. Yeah. Uh, and I kept coming back and looking at that pipe uh, the whole weekend. And I finally told myself uh, Saturday night uh, that the next day I was going to buy that pipe. It was just too nice not to have. And so the next morning uh, when Brad got there, I went over to his table and it was gone. And uh, I said, I guess you sold that uh, sandblasted canadian and uh, he said oh yeah steve i saw that yesterday afternoon and uh, so that's uh, uh, that's one i still today remember <laughs> so if you happen to see it as an estate you might want to you might jump all over that one i'll give them four and a quarter <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of dottle too uh, and some dottle too if they want it but yeah I, that was a beautiful pipe oh it was blasted beautifully and uh, it just was a nice pipe. It, that's all there is to it. And I, I, I guess that's the most recent one I remember. It had to be only two or three years ago uh, that I that I messed up on that deal. But yeah, yeah, that's one of one of several I would have loved to have had back. But in my mind, that one's uh, at the forefront. Yeah, I so I kind of run through the same thing when I go to a pipe show. You know, I I, I like to skim the you know go around the room at least once before I. Yeah, because I've got a budget and I like to see what's out there. And if I go back to a pipe a second and a third time during the day or during the show, I'm I'm starting to worry about it and thinking, you know, that that pipe is starting to talk to me. And, you know, if for some reason it's out of my price range or whatever it is, whatever is holding me back from pulling the trigger the first time. If I go back and it's sold, I thank the Lord above because then I don't have to fight with my budget or whatever. Whatever was holding me back from pulling that trigger right away, I'm like, oh, thank God. Yeah, and I've done that too. I've done that too. Yeah. 
And I and I've actually had a couple of pipes where I did that, where I ended up owning them after the next person, you know, after the person that bought them the first time got rid of it, and I was like, hey, <laughs> they broke it in, and I got it for an estate price instead. So, well, I don't recall that ever happening to me. I haven't been that fortunate. Well, yeah, you know, I I got a little more time to skim pipes, uh, you know, skim the estate pipe listings than you do, and you have a table to work. And at the West Coast Pipe Show, you have your lovely, talented, wonderful, marvelous, fantastic wife with you um, who makes you go to girl singing concerts all the time. So you got that extra expense. Well, you know, you've always got to do something to please the wife. And I know you're in the same boat I am. So you just uh, you just live with it, Brian. There's some things in life you just live with. Yeah, it's a, it's a cross we have to bear, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Fallon, the pipe stud, always fun catching up with you, always fun hanging out with you, and uh, thanks for coming on and doing this. Oh, it was my pleasure. You know, I got the biggest kick uh, last Saturday, a week ago, folks. Brian and I were uh, on a Zoom meeting group with some other pipe smokers, and uh, uh, they were were talking about Brian's show and how much they loved it and all this other kind of stuff, and I was sitting there trying to think of a way to, uh, you know, put him back in his – place because i i could tell he was getting a big head i saw it swelling up bigger and bigger (laughs) on my screen your computer Uh, screen got bigger (laughs) (laughs) that's right but i just couldn't figure out a way to do it because i knew all those other guys would get on because they were such big fans of the show and so am i and i appreciate you uh taking the time to uh include me and and it's always a pleasure and we'll be back in just a minute Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Huh? What'd you think? Part three of the experts. Uh, there you go. And remember, these guys, you know, this is a lot of years of practice and uh, trial and error to come up to come up with their opinions. And they are the most leading expert on their own opinions. All right, for music, we're sticking with just music that makes me happy when I hear it, and this one always makes me happy, and this one, there is only one person that I can ever hear perform it, and that's because it's uh, Louis Armstrong and uh, What a Wonderful World. I see trees of green Red roses too I see them blue For me and you And I think to myself 
what a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do I watch them grow They'll learn much more Than I never knew And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful One and only and occasional uh, pipe smoker of the past, Louis Armstrong. Mm, message from the dark side there is. And that Yoda was in honor of last week's uh, Food for Thought episode on podcasting with uh, Bo York. So if you haven't had a chance to check out the Food for Thoughts, uh, go back, give them a listen. Appreciate it. Let me know what you think. Um, we'll keep them going as long as I find interesting people and... Uh, Keep it, you know, keep going with it. So anyway, uh, remember, if you have a comment or question for me, you can email them directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at PipesMagazine.com, or you can post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Pipes Magazine. And the best thing you can do is go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And thank you to all that have done that. We're up to 303 uh, and getting caught up on some of those. We go back to... Uh, Jim Friedman, who writes uh, the grandfather of pipe casts. Uh, this is the oldest, longest-running pipe-smoking podcast for a reason. The content is relevant and rich, plus Brian does a great job of bringing in knowledgeable guests, most of whom he's known through his pipe-smoking network and by being an industry icon himself. Good show and well done. Thank you, Jim. Uh, and uh, Smoking the Ghost, uh, who is uh, Greg, I believe, uh, writes uh, five stars. Congratulations on 400 episodes. Congratulations and thanks go out to Brian and Kevin for 400 episodes of quality content. Week after week, the Pipes Magazine radio show delivers an hour of information and entertainment centered around our wonderful hobby and lifestyle. This show is a must for anyone who enjoys pipes and pipe tobacco. From green beginner to doctor of pipes, subscribe, pack a bowl, and enjoy a weekly dose of audible goodness. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, he said something in there about our wonderful hobby and lifestyle. 
and I've been accused of calling it a hobby versus a lifestyle. To me, the hobby part is the collecting of pipes and the collecting of tobacco and the collecting of knowledge. The lifestyle part is the smoking of them. And some people are more into the hobby side. Some people are more into the lifestyle side. So, uh, you know, I definitely, I definitely would not say somebody who smokes a pipe two or three times a week is into the lifestyle, but more into the hobby. Uh, and somebody who smokes a pipe all day long, every day, like I do, is more into the lifestyle. But there you go. Uh, and then finally on iTunes, another five-star review writes, Love the show, and that's uh, Nat, uh, Nat, <laughs> Natsu Fire Eater. I hope that's right. Uh, and he writes, uh, from Jerome Diltz. I hope I didn't butcher that too much. Hello, Brian. I love the show. It makes my work day go by much faster. I'm still getting caught up on all the past episodes. And I love the fact that you and the other podcasters, Mike Murphy, John David, and Bo York, are all friends and can tease each other the way you do. Thanks and keep up the good work. We sure will. And, you know, I think in when you look around the uh, pipe and tobacco industry and the hobby yeah, most of the, you know, most people are all even competitors are all really good friends and you know have respect for each other and enjoy what each other do. So that just spills over into the uh, into the podcasting world with the three of us. And if uh, Ole Sylvester would ever come back with his Um Paul podcast, well, we'd all be happy to welcome him back too and probably pick on him a little bit. <laughs> All right, uh, on PipesMagazine.com, going back to episode 400 with uh, Rick Newcomb, Wade H. writes, congratulations on 400 successful episodes. Uh, I still have about 350 episodes on backlog to fill in my smoking time. Uh, I'm smoking H&H Fusilier's ration while this smoking lamp is lit. Wonderful chat with Rick Newcomb and a splendid idea for the next seven weeks. I look forward to listening to the Magnificent Seven experts weigh in on the seven questions. Uh, by the way, I prefer smoking a churchwarden pipe when smoking at home. I definitely feel a cooler smoke on these long-stemmed pipes. Uh, and then going back to last week's show with uh, Rich Esserman, Dino writes... I've always been impressed by Rich's encyclopedic, encyclopedic knowledge since the, since the ephemeris days. For more than 20 years, I've made it a point at the Chicago shows of spending some time with Rich and fellow Chicago club member Chuck Rio at their table. Time well spent. Uh, Rich's insightful answers to the questions were very edifying and just plain fun. Anyone who doesn't have a membership subscription to NASPC's Pipe Collector is missing Rich's wonderful articles and why they aren't members. Shame. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then Dino says, you can't go wrong with Queen, and that was an inspired choice. Kudos on the rant, and uh, sorry to Kevin, your segment was quite entertaining also. <laughs> I don't think Dino's too much of a, uh, a tippler there, but anyway. Uh, Crash the Gray writes, late congratulations on the 400th episode. Well done. I'm really enjoying this series of samurai questions. I'm looking forward to hearing the different responses to the same questions. Great idea. Uh, and then Wade H. writes, uh, congratulations again. 
a relatively new listener. I'm back to episode 351 now, and of course, I keep current with the new episodes as well. I enjoyed this week's part two of seven questions for seven experts, as well as all of the other episodes I've been listening to. I'm glad I found you. I've been smoking a pipe for 40 years, and it's never been so socially interesting as it has been over the past decade. The internet has brought us old timers so many more opportunities than we used to have to buy a seemingly endless variety of both pipes and tobaccos. It's also never been easier to connect with other pipe smokers socially, either in a virtual environment or in a pipe club meeting and events. I love what you're doing, Brian, and look forward to listening to you for years to come. Thank you very much. And he's uh, Wade's listening to the show exactly the way I'd suggest. If you're catching up, stay current with the new ones, work your way backwards, and when you get to the very early ones, I'll apologize. Uh, and then uh, Casey Ghost says, just another good show with a giant of the hobby as guest. Rich really knows pipes and gives good advice on how to acquire them. I really can't understand how he smokes a combination of blends. <laughs> Everybody else would take the individual tobaccos and combine them, but he takes individual tins and combines them. It's amazing. Uh, I nominated a guy for Doctor of Pipes, but apparently he didn't make the cut. The selection of Sykes Wilford and Jeff Knoll was well-earned. John David Cole for Master of Pipes was well-earned. And uh, Chad Terpstra was also well-earned. Let me just say this on the Doctor of Pipes. Uh, For a Doctor of Pipes, only the doctors, the existing living doctors, can nominate a, a candidate. So it's not open for nominations. On the Master of Pipes, that's open for nominations from anybody around, and uh, we'll try to do a better job this year of getting the news out, but when that nomination time came out, you know, that was in the middle of Pheasant Run falling apart. So anyway, that's how it, that's how it works. And then all of those are voted on only by the existing Doctor of Pipes. So it's not a, uh, not a public opinion thing. Uh, it's just the way it works. And then finally, uh, Mike S. writes uh, regarding the uh, last last week's show. Anytime I get the opportunity to listen to what Rich Esserman has to say about pipes and tobaccos, I do. His contributions to NASPC's Pipe Collector are the first thing I turn to. Uh, also, Linwood Hines writes, uh, I'm listening to the last episodes uh, tonight whilst enjoying an oil-cured Ashton and McClellan Butera v- Royal Vintage. Uh, and this goes back to last week. Uh, and he said, but I wanted to congratulate you on your 400th show. How phenomenal your efforts, uh, very professionally accomplished, bring joy to so many of us. I needed to say thank you. Be well, see you in October. And then he says, by the way, Legend Browned Ale seems to go with every tobacco that I smoke. An Imperial Russian Stout does go better uh, with, uh, in my opinion, heavier English, but particularly Balkan blends. A gin and tonic is good in summer with a cube cut burly, but also a ribbon cut like Red Virginia, Sutliff 515 Red Virginia, etc. So there's a couple more, uh, couple more beer choices for you. And yeah, Linwood lives right in Richmond, so we'll see him at the Sutliff Core thing. All right, again, comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you are thinking about traveling anywhere, you can email me, brian.levine at mei-travel.com. Uh, you know, just give me your email me, and we'll uh, chat about your thoughts. 
All right, rant time is coming up next. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. So, a comment in the Ask Me Pipe Maker segment got me thinking and got me wondering, and, well, this is why. Uh, so, the comment was uh, that uh, Nelson said that he asked one of the pipe makers about dye, and the pipe maker said, we use this dye, and we don't know why we, that's why we use. And I was, I, it, it reminded me of the story of the uh, mother who is baking an, an Easter ham and, uh, and is... Uh, Telling the daughter that, yeah, you know, in order, you know, before you put the ham in the pan, you got to cut the ends off of the ham and then you put it in the pan. And, she, and the daughter says to the mother, well, why do we do that? And she says, the mother says, I don't know. That's how grandma taught me. Go ask grandma. And then she'd go ask grandma. And grandma says, well, you know, that's what my mother used to do. So, and that's how I learned to do it. But the reason my mother did it was because she had a pan that was too small for the ham. So she'd cut the ends off and that's how she learned how to cook it. The, the moral of the story is, if you're doing something or if you're in a job where there is something, you know, a, a, an action or whatever, yeah, you have to do what the, what the people tell you to, but don't sit there and accept it as the best way possible. Try to understand why it's done that way. Why do we do it that way? Uh, some of those questions came up in the, uh, uh, in the uh, Food for Thought podcasting thing. You know, why do we do things this way? Well, this is the way I learned. Well, you know what? Don't take that for granted. Learn the way you learn the way it should be done, but then ask why is it done that way, and make sure that when you're doing a process, if it's like pipe making, you should know why we're using that specific dye, and continue to try and experiment with other things. That's always better. Don't just take for granted that because you were told to do it that way, that's the best way to do it. So goes with pipe smoking too just because you were told that you had to do it some way just keep trying different ways too because you'll hear it from all these experts all right uh three ask the experts down four more to go remember please if you get a chance itunes rating and reviews would be absolutely wonderful we'd appreciate that uh keep sharing the pipes magazine radio show out wherever you uh, happen to run into other pipe smokers uh, if you want to have some fun, you can go back last week. I did an Instagram live with uh, Shane Ireland on the smokingpipes.com channel. So you can go check that out. That was a lot of fun. Hope to do a couple more of those in the future. It's always fun for me to not have to worry about asking any questions and just answer them. Uh, so thank you to uh, Jeff Grasick again. Thank you to Steve Fallon. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Happy
Bombadida, 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 Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Trails to you. Tell me, 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 me,